everyone. Thanks again for tuning in. If you're coming at us for the first time, my name is Christopher Bell, and I'm a filmmaker and the host of this podcast. We have on indie filmmakers, festival programmers, critics, actors, and so on, and we chat with them about their process, influences, projects, and movies, and all that jazz. So I sure hope you're kind of into that, because it's pretty much all we do. We're on the Playlist Podcast Network, and you can find all of our episodes and other shows on the network right there. Just search on iTunes for it. We're also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the greats. Now, without further ado, here is the interview. Here I am with actor and filmmaker Frank Mosley. Frank, how are you, buddy? Good, man. I'm doing great. How are you, man? Simply put, I'm keeping it real, you know? Um, so, in effort to continue keeping it real... I think we should get started, and let's just do a little warm-up question for the audience. How did you get into movies? Man, you know, it's, um, it's really my dad. At the end of the day, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end of the day, it's my dad loved movies. And so I just grew up with a dad who showed me everything and anything. I mean, he showed me everything from... Charlie Chaplin to Bruce Lee films. Um, I mean, he, by the time I was in high school, he used to take me and my friends to go see midnight movies at the Inwood theater in Dallas. And he was like the cool dad that would, you know, take us out to see blue velvet, you know, at midnight. And he was just so supportive of my interest in it. And I realized that, you know, not everybody is lucky enough to have, you know, fortunate enough to have parents who are, supportive of what their kids want to do but um he not only encouraged me to do it but he he honestly instigated it because when i was about four or five years old uh, my dad had a sony high eight camera loan from his brother and my mom was gone and he was bored and so my dad decided he was going to make the wizard of oz uh starring me and so i was in the wizard of oz and i played all the parts with the exception of my dad, he played the guard that announces that the witch is dead. That's like his big cameo. But the rest were me. And, uh, you know, he, like, edited in camera, and I was in all the different wardrobes. And then he played it back for me on our TV. And um, I was just kind of, in like, amazed that what we just did, I could now watch. And so, honestly, that was what put the bug in me, that I was like, oh, I can use this little device, and I can capture a performance i can bottle it i can bottle our playtime basically you know and then play it back so i can see it and so by the time i was like six or seven you know i was now running the camera and i was inviting friends over to make horror films um and then by the time i was in high school i mean by then they were like bigger productions i was saving up money from jobs over the summer and I would often recruit like a lot of my friends from the drama department to like spend their weekends like jumping off of my roof or like holding onto the hood of the car as we like plow it down the neighborhood. Um, it was a blast. So, like I kind of just developed my own little neighborhood studio. Um, and I think about the time I was like 18, I knew I just wanted to keep making movies. I mean, it's, I was one of those kids. You know, the kid you knew with the camera growing up who was like, oh, yeah, like, I love making movies. I'm like, that was me, you know. You were in the theater program in high school, correct? I was, yeah, yeah. And was this 
so you were making movies in high school as as well as you know acting in theater productions yeah uh, and that that was kind of like the thing that i loved to do is that you know we would perform all these stuffy you know plays like during the week um and then those same actors i'd be like all right now let's get back to making a zombie movie on saturday like i'll see you at 11 a.m you know and then we would shoot all weekend um so we were always working on stuff and honestly by the time i was um a junior in high school um is when i decided i wanted to start trying to do some original works uh plays and so i talked to the drama teacher and I was like, look, you know, I have some of these original works I want to do. And she's like, well, you know, for the student-directed part of the semester, we don't really want original works. Like, we just want to see you test your directing skills on, like, you know, stuff that's been do- done before, all the fare that you've seen a million times. Yeah, the canon. And I said, well, what about, like, if it's not necessarily original, but what if it's, like, an adaptation of something? And they're like, yeah, get back with us. So two weeks later, I came back to them with my friend Adam Winnington, and we had a script, which was basically Dr. Strangelove adapted into a play. And so my junior year, we put on uh, the main stage Dr. Strangelove as a play, and uh, it was a blast. But, I mean, we went full Max Fisher on that. We had, like, strobe lights and... Stuff that would not be allowed now, but we had, like, kids running down the aisles of soldiers with guns, and we had fans going and, like, special effects. We went the whole way, and uh, that was kind of, like, the first merging, I guess, in a way of, like, my two loves of, like, film and, like, theater, like, at the same time. That was kind of, like, a turning point, and it was a really big production. I don't know. In a way, I don't know how the hell they let us get away with that, to be honest. Um, because it got pretty wild, but, um, that was kind of a a turning point while I was also making movies on the weekend. And then by senior year, uh, I was like president of theater and they let me get away with a hell of a lot more. And so then I was able to finally do those original works for the theater group. And then you went to film school. What made you choose to study film over acting? To be honest, I actually got my degree in um, in English Lit. So I – no, man. No, it's fine. It's, it was one of those things where – so uh, University of Texas in Arlington. So it's like Arlington's right between Dallas and Fort Worth in North Texas. And, um, you know, I was going to – I got a scholarship there that I had applied for. And I wanted to go to some of the other big schools because a lot of these other schools I was really wanting to go to, they all had film programs. And I just was like, you know, I I told my parents this, I just want to get out of here. Basically, I was like every other 18-year-old. And I was like, I want to get the hell out of here and go somewhere new and like join the film program. And they're like, you know, you can do that. And they said, but you have this scholarship for this school down the street and, you know, with an English degree – I mean, you can use that for anything. And they said, you know, you love reading, you love writing, and you love analyzing and breaking these things down. And not only that, and they're like, but you're never going to stop making movies anyway. They said, you've been making movies since you were four. So you don't need a degree to necessarily make films. Uh, and sure enough, I actually talked to Bart Weiss 
at UTA right before I joined, and I said, what exactly is, like, the intro to to film class? And he said, you know, it's for people who basically have never really made anything before. And I realized then, I was like, okay, well, like, this is going to be a chance for me to, like, grow and to use equipment, you know, from their facilities and to make some friends. But I followed my parents' advice, and I'm glad I did because, um, you know, I have that English degree, and I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like I apply that with, you know, even with the scripts I write or just even when kind of approaching characters, you know, as an actor. When you look back onto stuff you've shot, I don't know how seriously you take the, like, pre-adult stuff that you shot, like in high school and stuff. Right. Um, but like college, and, and then you look on the work you've directed now, do you see like a big change at some point? And like, what was the movie that opened your eyes and kind of like set you on a certain path of craft? If you'll, if you'll say what, you know, let's talk about a movie that did that. And let's also talk about if there was something else that was like going on in your life that was, uh, you know, non-cinema related. And that could be like another art or like uh, a relationship with someone or whatever. I feel we're always growing, but I, but I feel like, you know, there are certain movies now that, um, you know, don't really affect me now, but they did at a certain age. Um, and I'm sure I'll say the same thing in another 10 years to a movie that I love now, but I can't necessarily like pinpoint, um, too specific of like one film, but I'll say that like when I was a little boy, um, I mean, I wanted to be a horror film director when I was a kid because when I was really young, I was just starting off like writing a lot. Like I I was like making movies, you know, learning how to use the camera with my dad, but I was doing a lot of writing. And at one point, and this ties into the English lit guy, but I thought I was going to be a writer. I wanted to be like Stephen King. And so I spent a lot of my childhood just like writing short fiction, like these little short stories and these like, you know, horror twists and things. And, uh, I love that. And so I would say like, if there were any movies that really influenced me as a kid, I would say they were like the films of like John Carpenter or, uh, George Romero. And I think they struck a chord with me because they hit me at that crucial age, especially like in junior high where it's still macabre it's still, you know, dark, and there's still the whole horror element to everything. But a lot of, like, Romero's films in particular, like, they they mean something. They're usually symbolic and metaphorical of, like, larger things at play. Like, they have a social commentary that's, you know, kind of carrying you along. And when you're a kid, you don't necessarily get that. And sometimes you get little pieces of it. And so I feel like when I was probably 11 or 12, like, I knew that, something was being said about race with night of the living dead. And when I saw that I was so affected by, um, the ending of that movie, um, that I knew that the feeling I had wasn't just from a normal horror film. And to expand on that point, I'll say with Romero, um, his movie, Martin, I saw like right when I was going through puberty. And to me, there's no greater, you know, example of maybe what I was feeling because it's about a a young guy who doesn't know whether or not he's a vampire. And so, so it's a monster movie in quotes, 
uh, it's really kind of like this great middle ground between like what is fantasy and what is reality. What is the real horror of life? Of this, and then what is like the fantasy element um, of horror? And um, so to me, that movie is kind of embodies those kind of feelings I probably had, like seeing it as a young man and like growing up. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think probably a lot of those horror films affected me in some really deep ways. I um, I don't know. I like tension in films. And I, I was actually uh, – Hannah Gross one time told me that she saw some of my films I've made like in the past five years. And she was like, um, you should be a horror film director. Uh, and I said, why is that? And I said, none of my movies are horror. And she was, yeah, but like your films are – even though they're not explicitly about horror, she goes, you can feel like a tension. And so I, I kind of trace that all the way back to, you know, being a kid and watching all those movies. And I think it just kind of got deep into me, you know, much like my Catholic guilt. So <laughs> Are you, is that something you're going to pursue? Like uh, doing a straight up horror movie? To be honest, I got um, one of my, so I'm writing two features right now, which, and I hope, you know, I hope I'll make both. Knock on wood, but um, the one of them is is very much a thriller, but one of them is way more kind of in a horror film vein, um, and it takes place in Pittsburgh during uh, from the summer of nineteen seventy five, and then it culminates early seventy six, the night the Steelers take the championship, um, and uh, closest thing I can compare it to is like structure placed beyond the pines. Um, but it's like Virgin Suicides becomes Halloween becomes Deer Hunter, <laughs> um, which is to say it's big. And I, I guess that's why it's kind of an intimidating thing to write because it's it takes place over like you know basically a year. And so as the seasons change and the acts change, there's a different protagonist to each act, kind of like Place Beyond the Pines. Um, but then there's also a tonal shift between the three chapters of the movie. But it's all with the same world. It's all in Pittsburgh, uh, which is yet another direct link to uh, Mr. Romero, where he made his stuff in Pittsburgh. You're making me connect the dots here, Chris. You got to do it at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, dude. Yeah, I've been, that, that's I, the closest thing, and that's been a passion project for a long time that I hope I get money to make, but it's like, you know, it's a big movie. So I don't know if that'll ever happen, but if it can, it'd be amazing. Keep the faith. Uh, did I not answer your other half of your question? I can't remember what you also asked. Didn't you say there's something else? Like the, the path you're on now as a filmmaker, the kind of films you make, and we're talking about this, um, this kind of tension you give your films, like, you know, what, movie or movies like did that and you did answer that and then i was saying if not movie like what other art did that or like a book or something or what other experience or uh yeah. your life or whatever did that maybe just to add on to that i'll say that you know i think um tied into what i was talking about loving to write as a kid i like i love to read so i i think to me um i mean literature was a really big part of my childhood and I tend to gravitate toward writing scripts or seeing movies that, and this could this could put us into a room of controversy here a little bit, but like but feel literary. And I know that literature is not cinema, and cinema is not literature. But 
there are um, something about the feelings of a novel that I think people are now trying to do with like miniseries, actually, in like serial formats, where you get to really spend time with characters over a long duration. Uh, and so I think character and duration are things that really interest me in my filmmaking. And that's what I think I, I, those are two really important things to me with my films that I think probably just stem from my love of literature as a kid. What really interests me in film uh, for a long time, and I didn't really recognize it or acknowledge it until now, was like the temporal aspect. More than yeah. anything, you know, because you often get people be like, film is a visual medium, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, yeah, but not really. It's also like very much a temporal medium. And um, uh-huh. I think that could be the problem with like television shows, as I see it, is that they are they can go on for an indefinite amount of time, which means that there could be a plan and it could be halted or there can be a plan and it, you know, cannot sustain the amount of time that it needs to be on because it's making a certain amount of money. But with a film, it's you're you're taking this like amount of time and you're like, here is this idea that I want to show you that I want to tell, you know, I want to tell you this story for this amount of time and we're not going to go further and you're not going to get any less. You're not going to get any more. And because of where, because of what I tell you and how I tell you it and for the amount of time that this is all going to take, uh, you know, in a macro and micro sense, it's very much like a poem. Yes. And I like movies that um, do with that. But not even a poem. Like, the more I read, the more I realize how amazing uh, literature is at just, uh, at structure, at storytelling in a sense that I know it's going somewhere, but it could literally take me anywhere. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing that it's just these words on a page that can do that. I I think, you know, what's funny, it got me kind of back into reading was um, where all the, the... the the Robert, uh, Gray, um what are they novels uh, Labyrinth and in, uh, Jealousy in the Labyrinth and like seeing like films like Last Year at Marienbad that were such amazing pieces of cinema and then like researching those writers and seeing them as like novelists um, and then seeing the, all those forms of like the new novel you know that we're doing all these wild like choose your own adventure style novels and what's weird is when you read those books it it feel it's so visual it paints such a picture that it almost you can see the connection these writers had to cinema but then it's interesting that they also just stand alone as a piece of writing uh and so i'd gotten out of reading i used to be a voracious reader and that actually funny enough it was researching all those writers of the new novel that come took me back into into reading a lot more again so yeah, that stuff. I don't think I've read any of those by like they're all that's they're all French, correct? Yeah, I mean they have like the these translations of a, you know, there are a lot of them that are apparently some have been like lauded. Um it's funny enough, Chris, I actually told Paul Taylor about jealousy. Um and I said he needed to read it and I think he got it just a couple months back. Um but for me it's like I couldn't put it down. 
it, it just felt like this drifting eye um, through this guy's mind. And it was uh, hard to put down. It was really amazing. Yeah, I haven't tackled anything um, in that area. But the French writers I really like are um, part of the Ulipo group. I know very little about that, but yeah. Yeah, those they're very exciting to me and uh, very playful, generally, um, with what's going on in their in their stories. And uh, it's often very silly, but there's like a weird seriousness to it that just, it just really, it's very exciting to me, especially when I've seen too many movies that are too serious and I, I know exactly where they're going because of how like right. Right. structure is and this like certain rigid, obvious structure is encouraged in filmmaking. Like the strict three act structure and all that. There's, there's not always a lot of room to go off and do something totally different, like experimental in that sense. Um, whereas these books totally do that, and it's just joyful. They just do something really exciting where it's like, uh, it's very dense writing, very um, detailed and aesthetically very pleasing, but also like very silly and funny. And uh, you don't really see that a lot in cinema. We need to trade some books, man. We need to like do a list we'll exchange after this interview. Cross-country book exchange. Right, man. I'm down. Jumping over to the your acting work, um, you know, you're a nice guy, but you're on set and somebody's directing you and you're a director yourself. And a lot of actors have directed, but uh, I don't really think I've had them on the show, so um, I'm asking <laughs> you. And uh, how do you, how do you right. balance that? How do you not be like, oh, no, you should be directing me like this, or you should just be directing the whole project? like this the variable with a scenario is like why am i there why am i doing the role like what's the film about and like do i know the director like it really comes down to trust you know and do i trust the director and when i mean trust it it doesn't even necessarily just mean like doing you know what they would say without thinking about it but being having enough trust to have an open dialogue and to discuss not only ahead of time, but then also onset if need be and be like, Hey, like this just doesn't feel right. And like, to be honest with what you're feeling, how it feels to you. Cause we all know sometimes what feels weird to you may look great on camera, you know? Um, so there's that trust. So in terms of balancing, I think it's an ever evolving shape shifting thing. And I'm still learning how to balance it. Um, I mean, I love both. And I, I remember like right out of college when I was acting kind of professionally more around like 2004, 2005. And um, people would ask me, yeah, like you make movies and stuff and you also act, but like, what do you really want to do? Like if you had to pick one, like what would it be? And I'd always be like, well, I, I can't do that. Like to me, they each feed the other, and I, I'd like to think that I become a stronger actor because of my directing and then vice versa. Um, the one thing I, I try to do, though, is at least at this point in my life, I like to keep them separate, meaning like I don't necessarily like to act in my own films. And um, that's a decision that was very intentional 
it was one of those things where like as a kid, you know, you you need actors. So a lot of times I'd grown up, I would always be in my movies. I'd make my friends because somebody needed to play the heavy, right? Or somebody needed to to do this extra part in your movie. And so you just would act in your own stuff. But then as I got older, I realized that I really wanted, when I acted, to be able to focus just on that performance aspect. And then the same with directing, to where it's like it's a really great thing I, I love, to where it's like I can step away from acting with something and then now direct my friends, like give the role that maybe I would play or that I'd want to play, like to friends. Um, and that way I'm not in my own head and having to bounce back and forth between the sides of the camera, but can focus just on the big picture and what I'm looking at through that viewfinder. Um, and that's nothing, that's no knock against anybody that does that. I mean, I love Jim Cummings. He's a, he's a good buddy of mine. I love Thunder Road. And like I, people that are that, that threat where they can act and direct and do all the things like in their movie, like that's amazing. And I, who knows, maybe it's someday down the road. I want to do that. Um, but to me, I think not doing that is what kind of helps me keep each in balance. And in your particular scenario, I think if, if they're giving me a, if they're giving me some kind of direction <clears throat> that I don't get, um, and if it's with somebody then I don't trust, um, then it's something different than with somebody who's like a friend. And we already have a shorthand, like Cameron Nelson, uh, who did some beasts that I acted in. Like we've worked together in different capacities with each other on our films, each of us, over the past like five to seven years, and over probably at least you know almost a dozen projects. And so we don't really have to say much to anything uh, to each other. It's like we can just like look at each other and we know what the other one is thinking. Whereas like some other people, it's like maybe if they're a little green or something like that, then I just have to figure out whether or not I'm going to say something, if it's important enough to say something. And at the end of the day, you're there to do a job. You know, like if you're there and if you're a working actor, like in my head, it's like I'm there to do the best possible job that I can do with what's in front of me and what I'm wearing and who I'm looking at in the scene. And that's the challenge. That's acting. So it's like, it's, you know, you hear some people complain and they're like, you know, this was tough because of this. And like, you know, I've been in movies where like a noted actor, you know, would look at you, would you be doing a scene? You know, it's like these OTS shots. And then the noted actor is like, well, it's now I'm going to leave because they're done with my coverage. And so then I got to like act to the script supervisor who's like eating a sandwich like this emotional scene where I'm supposed to be crying. And I'm like, well, I just got to bring it because that's what I'm there to do. Um, so it's just that kind of question is like of knowing when to bite your tongue um, and when not to. And then is it worth it, you know, at the end of the day and how much you trust that person? And sometimes it can just come down to how it feels versus how it looks in camera and then also to – two wildly different interpretations of a character that you guys have, but hopefully you and the director have already talked about that ahead of time. Um, I did a film recently with a guy I never worked with before, but he's a buddy. And the role that I did 
in philosophy, like in prepping it, we were on the same page. Um, but for whatever reason, it's the only time this ever happened with me working in films like this, that I got to set, and once we started doing the character, I realized that even though these ideas of how the character was going to be played were the same between the director and I, the things I actually wanted to do with the performance was not what he had in mind for the performance. And so it was a total readjustment. Um, you know, in the moment of kind of you throwing away everything you might have been thinking about and prepping and researching and going to sleep thinking about. And that's a lot of work that you just have to immediately throw out because now you're in a different space and now you got to rise to the occasion. I wanted to touch on something you mentioned uh, before, which was that um, someone's like, well, you act and you make movies. What do you really want to do? And I, I really hate that. I hate that we are encouraged to only do one thing for the rest of our lives, like uh, considering how much time we may have, you know, on this planet. And um, and as if nothing else matters, because we're human beings. So uh, let's say we love someone, you know, we are with them until we die. So we're, you know, we're a spouse. We're, we're that right. to someone else. We're a lover. We're a caretaker. Um, we're also, you and I, we are, we are a son, you know, we're all these different things. And we also like make right. movies and you act. And it's like, that's not like one thing. And I don't understand right. why you need to choose something. And that's all you do when you clearly have other interests. And, you know, off the top of my head, now that you made me uh, think about this, I'm thinking about Wallace Shawn who um, is a really great writer, like uh, like a, play, a really great playwright, and he writes really great, um, inspiring political stuff sometimes, too. And Man, you're at the fever? No, I haven't. Oh, got to read it. I'm going to put that on that list. <laughs> but he's a really great actor as well, like performer. He's yeah. a character actor. I don't think he could do, like, absolutely everything, although, you know, uh, maybe he could, and maybe that... Um, definition of an actor is a little for lack of better words overrated maybe we can talk about that later but um he does these uh three very different things um that i know of and he's very successful with them and i don't know he's someone i mean david lynch you know he does movies he does art he does music he does uh, he talks about, he's pushing out this meditation that, that has really helped him. He does all these things, and he's great at them. I'm not really, like, looking to listen to his albums, but if I'm ever curious, they're there. And I I, I do think one day I will. And uh, I'm not going to say that to him. I'm not going to say that to anybody. And is this something you, like, get a lot? Where, like, someone is um, thinking you're, like, you should be one thing or the other? I, I mean, I have gotten it, especially, I guess, the younger I was when I was doing this. Like, And younger is in, like, early 20s, which was only 15 years ago or whatever. But it's like – but around that time was when people – like, you you said it perfectly yourself, Chris. I mean, you said – and I think it has something to do with maybe it's just the culture or our country and the way people look at things. Or I feel like too many people look – at things with absolutes, like you said, like there's this one person or the one job or the one thing. Um, and that's a, that's a really dangerous territory to play in. Um, even if you apply that ideology to, to acting, 
like the sandbox I want to play in is the kind where there's not it's not just one thing, it's not what's black or white or good or bad, but it, it can be that beautiful gray ambiguity. Um where it could be a lot of things. Um uh, and so I think I, I look at, you know, the characters I'm drawn to playing that gray zone or the films I like making, which are also about that gray zone. I mean to me that's it's about kind of muddling it up a little bit, I think. You know, and making you look at something in a different way. Um, I, I will say I got a, I got a total Achilles heel of of something that when I was younger, when anybody told me that uh, I couldn't do something, I always found that as like a challenge, for better or for worse. I used to really kind of get prickled by that, and I used to be like, yeah, but what if I can? Um, and I think that's something that kind of fed into, to me, I guess I would say as a director, but but certainly, certainly as an actor, I think um, I've done that. I mean, when I was, and this all comes full circle, Chris, but like in high school doing theater, and I oftentimes would get cast as like, you know, the friar or the drunk uncle or the best friend or, you know, these certain roles that were like these supporting character spots that like could, you know, I could do these different roles. And, and I remember I never, you know, I never really got chances to play leads until like senior year of high school or something like that. But I remember we, you know, at the, that point in my life, none of those lead roles are really interesting to me. In a lot of those plays, what were the interesting complex roles were these antagonists and these supporting characters and yet then we read Oscar Wilde's Lady Windermere's Fan. Um, and there was something about this one character in there, and he was this Lord Darlington. Um, and he was ostensibly like the love interest, like in the play. But then there's like a really brazen, bold move by Oscar Wilde was that like you think that like the lead character, Lady Windermere, is going to run off with this guy. And he's like this romantic, like leading hero. And then she doesn't, and he leaves halfway through the play, and you never see him again. And the last time you see him, he's having this moment alone where he's, like, burning this letter that he was going to give her, like, in a fireplace as his friends were, like, drunkenly hanging out around him. And so to me, when I saw that role, I was like, oh, I want him. There's that gray that I'm attracted to. But also it's, like, kind of this, like, leading man role. And so none of my teachers thought that I could – they weren't going to read me for that. And I asked them to three times, and they finally did, and I got the role. And that was the first time, I think, as a, as a kid that I was like, okay, like just because somebody says they can't see you doing something, it's all just in how they're looking at you. And I think about that all the time. I um, had something funny happen to me recently where, you know, I came across – a story and some photos about my dad that was a totally different side of my dad. And it was nothing incriminating or dark or anything, but it was just, um, it made me give pause because I realized that, you know, I see him as a dad. I see him as that one thing that you're talking about. Like that's the one thing, but then he's also a husband and he's also a friend, and he's also a son, as you were saying earlier. And so 
everybody's got all these parts to play. And sometimes I don't even think we realize, one, we're playing all these parts, and then two, what is that real face? Um, because if I look at my dad just as my dad, I think that's the only role that he is or that he could do if you're looking at it from an acting perspective. you know. And then you, you get surprised sometimes um, if you look a little deeper. you know. And I, I think that's – did you ever read The Dead by Joyce? That's what I'm thinking of right now. I think that's the thing that I'm thinking of is that it's like that one thing you see when that guy sees it in his – you know, wife's face of about something that she had that was private to her that he didn't know existed. Um, man, maybe everything just comes back to the dead, Chris. <laughs> maybe that's what I'm trying to make all along is that feeling um, from that. But yeah, I, I guess that kind of answers your question in a roundabout way, but it's, I, I just think there's, People have always tried to say there's one thing or the other, and I think I've always resisted. And I think sometimes I've resisted aggressively. Uh, and I don't know whether that's hurt me or you know helped me or hurt me, but uh, it's definitely made me try to keep working, which is the main thing. It's bizarre. I mean, I I used to get that a lot when I was doing uh, critic work, where it was like, oh, I was only a critic. You know, I wasn't a filmmaker. Or right. You know, I would I would get that all the time, and it's kind of just like, and I feel like maybe I get stuff with this, uh, like doing a podcast and stuff, where it's like, well, why are you doing that? You're only like a filmmaker, and it's like, I don't know. Like, part of it, to me, is just like, well, I want an avenue where I can talk about my work, because right. as as you know, we don't really get that very often, because we're not, uh, we're not established working directors and we're not the cool kids so it's not really going right. to happen as much um for people like us and our friends and stuff like that so it doesn't have to be like um well like i'm i have to focus on one thing because i'm not going to do it well if i do try to do all these different things it's like well you're trying to do all like life is trying to do like all these different things yeah, all these hats, like everybody. Well, and that's the thing is sometimes like it's by necessity, right? Like what I was telling this story about when I was a kid making movies, like I didn't always want to be in the movies. I was like, oh, but somebody has to do that part. And I, I think that's why, in my opinion, if you want to be a filmmaker, you should learn about every aspect of filmmaking just so you know what you're talking about. Like you should wear all those hats at some point so then you know how to talk to people who actually have those hats. You know, like that you, you've worked sound equipment before or you know something about lenses um, because then it gives you a common language to talk with people about. You know, you're not speaking in a different world. But it, but it's it, – and I think that there's a certain amount of respect then that happens because otherwise there's a lot of people that don't know you've ever had that hat. You know, like you, I mean it's – I think – I mean, man, what a amazing duality you got, man. I mean it's a critic – and a filmmaker, and I always think back to, you know, Truffaut and French New Wave and all that. But, I mean, I think there's there's something to that, and I don't even think people can say stuff to you like what came first, the chicken or the egg. Because I just think that they're always happening at the same time and helping each other out. And especially, like you said, if, if you're not part of a certain group, if you're not, 
given certain advantages and whatever they meet, they may be, you just have to get out there and like get your hands dirty and just do it, you know, cause there's no other way to find out. And so you just have to, you have to wear all those hats. Like you actually have to, if you want to see anything happen, you know, otherwise nothing will happen. So you, you've been in a couple of, uh, labs you've been, which are, you know, if people don't know what they are, they're pretty much like workshops or something right. like that. And um, so you you worked under uh, in a lab with Kiristami. I did. Uh, you were on a, the Talon Great. campus yeah. for Berlinale. Yeah, so uh, none of the labs I did were like what most labs are for, which are usually designed for like a specific script or a specific project that somebody's trying to make. The three labs that that I was fortunate enough to be a part of were all um, kind of broad scope labs. And um, like the, the Berlin Alley was actually an acting workshop because the Berlin Alley has an amazing cross section of workshops you can apply to. And um, that was the first thing I'd ever gotten into of anything like that, and especially something as big as Berlin Alley. So that was certainly a boost, and one I was really thankful for. But um, I'd applied there like three times before as a director and had never gotten in. And it finally hit me. I was like, oh, I see what's – what I was thinking about was I kept up thinking of applying as a director and not thinking, oh, wow, at this point in my life I have more as an actor – than I do as a director behind me in terms of experience or press or whatever, you know. And so once I figured that out and applied, then I got in uh, with Berlin. And that was amazing. That was acting workshop with like 10, 11 other actors from around the world. And uh, I was all kind of examining uh, the body and breathing techniques, all these kind of aspects of um, the Alexander technique, which important for a lot of sinkers and how they use their body and project and you know speak um it, it's funny it kind of ties into what you're saying a minute ago chris about you know the sides of you and the things you do because what i was just thinking was um i think there's like there's also a certain level of like what do people see you as versus like like what you actually have to offer. Cause like, again, like with the Berlin Alley, I think I had some kind of thing in my mind that was ego that was telling me that, Oh, I need to get in here as a director, you know? Um, and then it, it took a while. It dawned on me that no, that just wasn't the right time to do that. You know, that I should look at this other aspect of myself and kind of do that. And then like on the opposite end of the spectrum, like the Kiristami workshop happened. That was just a directing workshop where it was essentially like a 48 hour film race um, with Abbas Kiristami. So it was basically like a week workshop and you're with all these other people from around the world. And um, he gives a few kind of like lectures, but then he gives all 50 people like a prompt. And then you have to come up with an, a new idea uh, pitch it to him, and then if he approves it, and only if he approves it, then you're only able to go out and make this film with only the equipment you are able to carry with you in a small little suitcase. Um, and so there were 50 short films made in a week, 
in in Cuba, and um, it was just an amazing experience. And uh, I say this with absolutely no hyperbole, um, but it that was hands down one of the best experiences of my whole life. Um, was having that, and I mean, talk about a dense week. That week felt like three months in the best possible way, and the friendships forged over that week too, man, we're just, um, we're all still close, you know, we all still talk, and um, Karastami passed away like not even six months after our workshop, so that was a, that was a big blow to all of us who were kind of brought together by this guy, and celebrating his work while we were there and also learning from his work and learning from him. I mean, getting to pitch an idea to Abbas Kurastami while he was sipping tea was uh, probably one of the scariest moments of my life was that. was uh, And the one thing I got to tell him, which I'm really grateful I got to, was that um, that I saw Taste a Cherry it was the first of his films that I'd ever seen, but I saw it um, right around the time my mother had an aneurysm, and she thankfully survived, but it was a really, 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 really scary time, and we weren't sure for a while if she was going to make it, and she was in the hospital, and I had all these movies from the library that I hadn't touched and the only one that I hadn't watched yet was Taste of Cherry. And here's a movie about this guy who's looking somebody to bury him. Um, and I'm thinking about if I'm going to be burying my mother or not. And it was this very – it oddly put me at peace because he's having all these musings with these different people he picks up in his truck. And he and he's talking to them about their ideas of death and is there an afterlife and – for whatever reason, I, I saw that movie around this crucial time in my life, and um, you know, thankfully my mother pulled through. But um, I got to tell Karastami that that movie helped me through a tough time, and um, I don't know, be able to tell a master filmmaker you admire something like that—that something that I never thought I was going to be able to tell him. Like that was pretty special. So I've never been to any of these labs. I'm sure, like, uh, there's listeners who haven't been into to any of these labs and I'm tying that in also to like um what else what else do we try to get into uh film festivals um so is this like you know you got a lot out you got a lot out of these labs and and stuff like that is this like how big of a deal is it you know like what do what do is this something that you know, you should recommend people strive to do, even if like, you know, it kind of makes them miserable. Like what, what is, what is the answer? You know, like, should we feel like so terrible for not being a part of these things? Absolutely not. Um, nobody should feel terrible for not getting these things. Just like nobody should feel terrible for not getting in to a film festival. I mean, that's, so many of these decisions are made because of so many factors. And honestly, some of them are, are really legitimate and some of them can be bullshit. And the tough part is we can't always differentiate between the two when we're looking from the outside. 
And so it's, it's hard to know like what is the, what is really going on and what is really happening. Um, I, a good friend of mine, a filmmaker actually, and this is not necessarily a lab, but to tie into the film festival part of the question back in like Oh nine, a good buddy of mine, he uh, submitted his feature film like on without a box or something like that online. And this was like early days, I think of without a box online submissions. And so he submitted online, but it, he still had to deliver a DVD or like drop it off in the mail. So he, he filled in everything online. He got in his car, went to the post office. He dropped off the DVD in the mailbox, came home, had an email in his inbox, opened it up. And it said, thanks for submitting. We regret to inform you that you have not been selected for that film festival. Total bullshit. So it's like, how do you know what organization or institution could be like that? And then all you really have to go on is are your goals of what you're after. I, I think a lot of people need to kind of – I mean I don't know about you, but like a lot of times I think you and I have talked about this even recently with your new Short the Finger. But it's like it's helpful to look at film fests and be like – okay, what do they seem to play? Or like, what are the themes that I see? Because they're obviously telling you something by their programming of what they might kind of be, might be into. And granted, they can always surprise you. And some years with some fests are, are entirely different. They get new programmers who come in and are changing things up. So it's really hard to always get a bead on what's happening. And also what's happening, you know, if there's a zeitgeist, if there's anything that's, you know, significant that's happening culturally or anything, you know, these things play into what's important, what's immediate, what, what's something that needs to be heard or louder than maybe something else. So like, I mean, advice wise, I would say with festivals, it's a thing of research the fest and then also ask yourself, like, what are your goals with that fest? Like, is it to, just be seen by as many people as possible or is it about trying to get seen by a producer so then you can turn it into a feature or is like I think people need to ask themselves questions um, before they do some of those and the same goes for the workshops like I can't really speak for all the workshops because honestly um, most workshops again are kind of more about like specific scripts it seems or specific projects that they're trying to finish and so those have a very specific point whereas like the three things i got into were like essentially kind of about networking and making relationships and kind of about personal growth it's like i would say I mean, especially the Abbas Kuristami workshop, like that was, I was a runner up. I wasn't even in the main group that was selected and then they lost and people dropped out. So then I got bumped up on the list. Um, these things happen, but like if that person hadn't dropped out, I wouldn't have met Kuristami. I have gotten to tell him how I felt. And then I wouldn't have gotten to make this short that got into a festival in Paris that took me to Paris for the first time, you know? And, um, Every one little thing leads to another. And so I think for three specifically I got into, they were more about 
growth because they were all broad stroke ideas. Like especially the New York Film Festival Academy, Artist Academy was that's mainly what that was about. And it was kind of about just sharing ideas <clears throat> and meeting other people. And then, you know, the Berlin Alley thing again was you're learning a specific technique. That's I mean, you really just kinda of went to Berlin to meet other film actors and you know, learn something, have like a workshop. Um, but if you don't get in, I mean, as cliched as it sounds, it's like keep applying because I mean, I'd applied to the Bernali Talent Campus several times before. Finally got in. Same with Slam Dance. I think I applied to Slam Dance like maybe seven times, and then I finally got in with Parthenon this year. You know, so you just never know. With like trying to be nice and not like knocking uh, these institutions or whatever, it's um, you need a victory. So on the, on the pro side, you need a victory, and if you get in, you should definitely be happy about it, and you should definitely use it to your advantage, and you know, get better in your craft, and uh, just be happy for yourself because it is a big deal. Look, it's like you're getting you're one out of very few most of the time that is uh chosen to do this thing so you should definitely be happy about it um right. i would say for the majority of people who don't get chosen um you're not going to have that experience but you can have like uh, a different kind of experience that's going to likely influence your work so you're probably going to feel bad don't let it really get to you because again it's impossible for it to be like okay these like hundreds of thousands of people are just terrible artists and here are the 10 good ones. That's not really how it works. No, no. Again, it goes back to our discussion of extremism, like that idea of like black and white or, I mean, I, I don't, I think everything's mostly gray. I mean, I don't think it's just because you don't get in doesn't mean that you're a bad filmmaker, you know, or that your film was good. And I mean, I, I don't know. I heard later through the grapevine, man, that one of the films that I made they're a programmer, and it was just like months down the road from when I got my rejection. But they basically said, hey, just so you know, it was like, I'm not trying to make you feel better, but like it was really close. And in moments like that, it's like I don't know whether I needed to hear that or whether I shouldn't have. Because I don't know whether in that moment it made me want to fight harder or whether I just wanted to throw my hands up and be like, well, fuck, what else do you want me to do? Like what else – should I? Can I? You know. Like, you hear that a couple of times. It's like, all right, just fucking, like, one of you, you know, take the, uh, one of you fire and, and let's do this. Or, like, one of you, like, take a chance on this thing and, and let's get it going rather than, like, it was so close. And then, I don't know. No, you're right. It's definitely nice to hear that because, I mean, straight up, like, look, we should not be getting form rejections. It's it's cold. It's unnecessary. Yeah. It should not happen. And when I say we, I mean the general we. There, right. there has right. to be time for this to be, um, for this to be human. It it cannot be this anymore. Over. I'm, Done. So I've programmed for some fest before, and you know, I've been in some spots. Where it's like, I used to get irritated when I would hear the phrase, you know, it just doesn't fit with the program. We couldn't find a fit for it. 
right? And that used to really irritate me. And then I started programming. And I realized that when they're like, well, these are the slots and these are the days because this is how many days we can have. I, there were at times where I was like, well, fuck. I, I can't – if I'm trying to at least find thematic connections or a sense of flow with some of the films and programming – there were some films that I was like, maybe I can't find a fit. I mean, I want to have another day. We need to have a whole other day of programming. You know, a whole other day of the festival is what I mean. It's like if you had a whole other day. And I mean, that's one of the things like Sidewalk's an amazing film festival. But is, as far as I know, it's still like just like three days long. And like how amazing would that would it be if they had an extra three or four days? Well, they're getting their own. Uh, in fact, I think it's probably open. They have their own movie theater now. So right, right, which is which is amazing. But I, I totally know what you what you mean at the same time because sometimes it's like, well, if you really like it, then like find a way to make it work. Um, and you know, try to, it, the worst is when somebody's like, hey, like you know, your film is just great. I know somebody will take a risk on it, you know, and like get it out there, because it's almost like whoever the first one is the person that's basically saying it's okay to eat you're you're the cave person who's like eating the berry and you're like you know what guys it's not that bad it's okay come on in it's okay have a few you know uh but who's going to be that first person to do that and then all of a sudden everybody looks at you differently you know so i mean it's a really it's a tricky thing man i mean and also and also when i was programming this was in um dallas for different film festivals in Dallas and Fort Worth. But, um, you know, they would do this thing where they'd give you a stack of like, you know, how many hundreds and hundreds a day of, you know, screeners and like, all right, watch these. And they're like, as soon as you've seen enough, there's like eight of you, like in a room, they're like, put your hand in the air. And no joke, man. There were a lot of times when I'd be in a room of people and within like, you know, a minute, they would put their hand up. And pretty soon, within like two minutes, everybody had their hand up of me. And they were all looking at me. It was like a fucking 12 Angry Men scene, you know. And they're like looking at me and they're like eyes like daggers in the back of my head. And they're like, put your hand up so we can move on, you know. And I had this really big idea that I wanted to watch every film from beginning to end. And we didn't end up doing that. I fought for a long time. And then as the days went on and DVDs kept coming in, it got to this point where we had to at some point make a call where they were like, is this movie gonna, do we think, is it, is it competently made or does it feel like it's a rough film or like what, all these factors like suddenly started filtering in that I had never really thought about before. And and really what it comes down to is like time and money, sadly. Like if you had more time, if you had a shorter submission window, then maybe you could allow more time, more days to watch them all the way through, hire more programmers if you had money so then more people could be watching. That's really what it comes down to. The problem is like there's so little of that thing for some of these that then – they're trying to cram in all this work in like three days, you know, a couple of weeks or, and that's ludicrous. Like nobody can do that. God knows they try. I mean, some people are really trying hard to make that happen. Um, 
but how can they sustain? I don't know. I mean, I had a uh, Rachel from Sidewalk on an earlier yeah. episode, and um, and she said that you know she admitted it as a program. She's like, you know, sometimes we get things wrong. Uh, yeah. They didn't take Lena Dunham's first movie, and you know, I'm not a fan of her work, and I haven't even seen that movie, but just in the sense that look where she is now, look who she is now. And they weren't, like, early adopters of her, whereas, like, you know, other festivals were, and, you know, those festivals were right. But more importantly, they're right for now. Like, we can, 20 years from now, we can look back on Lena Dunham, and not to pick on her, but to anybody, and just be like, what were we thinking? Like, why this filmmaker? So just to say these things aren't eternal, you know, like, things change, uh, artists fall out of favor, or, like, tastes change... You know, it's not cemented in stone, in the canon, if you will. Well, but here, but here's my counter to that, though. But then if you're if you're saying, like, well, how do I put this? It's kind of like not casting a certain role, an actor for a certain role, right? And then they wind up on this big movie and, like, oh, man, I should have cast so-and-so. But it's like, why didn't you cast that person then? Well, you had reasons. To me, it's like a relationship. Right? Like, if you're in a relationship, you can see that person later in life and, like, oh, they look like they're real happy and maybe, like, man, like, if we were back together, I wonder if things would be great. Like, no, you broke up with that person for a reason. Right? Like, there were there were things of that time and place that you had your reasons to separate or whatever it might be, you know? Um, and I think of it like that way with programming. It's like, so I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't know the whole story here, but I wouldn't necessarily think that Rachel was wrong. Like, wrong is is a strong word that I heard there. That like, I don't know if she was wrong in doing it just because everybody else loved it later. I mean, she was just saying like these things happen. Like, they're not always like, uh, you know, whatever. I don't want to say wrong again or right, but um, no, it, it was more like mean. just like a, um, a thing. And I would I would say if I'm talking about um we're talking a lot about like rejection on the show and uh, having it be like, if you apply to something and you get rejected, I think what a good thing to do is, you know, don't feel too bad about it, but go and look back and see um, who got in and who these people are and go to past programs and see who got in and see who these people are and do that. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying like, uh, You'll you'll just kind of figure out like where like what it could have done for you maybe or what it couldn't have done. I don't know. It's like these things are what you make of them, and uh, they're very good. But they're not going to. It's not winning the lottery, is what I'm getting at. You're not going to go on to make uh, your dream project or anything if you don't get into this one thing or you know. Many things over time. It's uh, it's something you should be happy about if you do, and you're going to be upset if you didn't get in. But it's also, it's not something that is going to transform you in that way. And it, what what you just said is that's important because to me, even if you do win the lottery, then you're going to be what's the next thing, right? Like you're like all I got to do is get into this one festival. And you get in that fest, like, man, now all I got to do is get in this other festival. And after, like, man, now all I got to do is get into Sundance. Now all I got, there's always going to be 
another thing. And I think the, the thing that people need to remember is that they'll never stop being another thing. And just exactly. And that's just human nature. So for me, it's like, just find the thing that's right in the moment. And then don't worry about later if it didn't catch on, like in the case of Lena Dunham. Think about the movie. I want to know what's the movie they maybe programmed in Lena Dunham's spot in that festival and who that filmmaker is and what that film is. And a shout-out to Sidewalk because Sidewalk was the first film festival outside of my hometown of Dallas that took one of my films. And that was a huge thing. I had applied there several times before. Didn't get in. Kyle McKinnon wrote me a sweet rejection email. He's like, but here's what we liked about this film you submitted. And then I finally got in. And what I love about Sidewalk is that they sometimes play some of these films that like, you don't know where they're going to go. Or there's no tie-ins to any kind of group or anything that you think might have a shot somewhere else to go. You know, like it has its own thing going. I mean, I, I don't know how many Undiscovered Gems like I've never heard of, filmmakers I've never heard of that I saw at Sidewalk that were just like wonderful. You know, it wasn't just the things that every other festival maybe was kind of jumping on, you know. Um, yeah, there's always going to be something else. Yeah, there's shout out to work. Sidewalk, though, because I had the same experience as you, where they were like one of the first uh, festivals that was, you know, good that uh, played one of my films. So, Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... Only love for Sidewalk. <laughs> Rachel's amazing. I love you, Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Frank, my friend, I've kept you long enough. Uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show and talking with me. Thank you for having me, buddy. It means a lot. I uh, love listening to this thing, so happy to be on here. It's a match made in heaven. (laughs) It was all building to this. It was all building to this this whole time. Um, (laughs) It was great getting to talk with you. Totally, yeah. Uh, We will talk again soon, a.k.a. right after I uh, stop recording. So that concludes our interview. Unfortunately, you don't get to hear the conversation we had after I stopped recording. Hey, uh, maybe if we have a Patreon one day, you will get to hear behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, Maybe. I mean, I'm kidding. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Um, thanks again for listening and please like our page on the Facebook, facebook.com slash indie beat movies. We are part of the playlist podcast network. Do check out all the other great shows that are in this network. Thank you. 